Welcome back to Hitch Route. What a first week it was of the NFL season. Alex, I'm not sure if I've seen a wilder week one in my time than the one that I just witnessed go down. Do you think there's a correlation between the wildness of the offseason and the wildness of week one? There has to be. Actually, yes. Actually, yes, I do. And, and I think the reason is because, especially now, there's so much quarterback movement that like, we literally have no idea what teams are going to look like from season to season, right? Like the ones that, that you know, get new quarterbacks. Like, like, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? You know, is it going to be clunky, <clears throat> Broncos? Is it going to like, you know, be more smooth? You know, like like Washington, which we'll get to. I thought, you know, their transition to Wentz seems to be going pretty smoothly. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of in between, too, where, where I think the jury is still out, like, like with the Colts and Matt Ryan. Um, but just the fact that, like, you know, you have to count on your hands the sheer number of teams that got a new quarterback in the offseason. Also, was it just me? Or does it seem like defense is way ahead of offense right now? I mean, defense might be ahead of offense, but that's just because I would say generally, de- uh, defense obviously the scheme matters, but it's it's less significant than offensive scheming, and I would say it's harder it's harder to gel offense out the gates. I agree. Yeah. You know, it, it, it would sort of be like, you know, the difference between building building a structure and like tearing it down, right? Like defense, it's so much easier to tear down than it is to build up. Um, and so like, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, over the next couple of weeks here. Also, like so many teams now aren't playing any starters in preseason. And I really think that showed in the quarterbacks. I saw a crazy stat that apparently – Quarterbacks who didn't play a snap in preseason went three and eight in week one. Mm. Well, you're just lucky to be on the side of three. Indeed. And it's funny because I almost thought I wasn't going to be the way that first half was going. But oh, oh my, oh my, did, did, did he turn it on in the second half in order to cement his spot on that podium? But uh, any, any, anyway, why don't we jump into the games? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's just go straight for Thursday Night Football. The game that, you know, I don't think Vegas could have created a better game. Super yeah. Bowl winner, Super Bowl favorite, facing in the NFL's favorite stadium for some random reason. But at least Justin Herbert makes the SoFi commercials. I think that's <laughs> the important note for us to take away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bills, Rams, it, it, it's funny you know, I, I, I play this game every year. I try to predict what the first game of the season is going to be. So, like, uh, of course, you know the Rams are going to be in it and the Rams are going to play at home. But, like, I thought for sure it would be, like, Niners-Rams or maybe, like, Chiefs-Rams, you know, or, like, you know, or or even Bucks-Rams. But, no, they decided to go Bills-Rams, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and, like, although I wish that the – game had turned out to be more entertaining like I'm with you you know I thought it was a great matchup on paper right even if that's not how it actually ended up playing out 
Yeah, so obviously that matchup didn't go very well. I would say that if you have to put one single reason onto it, it would have to be the Rams' offensive line. Mm -hmm. That team simply couldn't hold itself together, and they were pretty much just lucky that the Bills had enough uh, shooting themselves in the foot that they didn't have to look very bad in the first half. Yeah. Honestly, dude, like imagine being the Bills and literally having eight different large men that you can rotate within your defensive front and achieve the same result literally every single play. Pretty much. Particularly one new edition of Von Miller. Mm. I think his contract is very large, but that you know that doesn't really matter for this sake. All that matters is that he still makes impact on the football field and you know, obviously, he had a bit of revenge in him, even though, you know, they won a Super Bowl and he was traded for. It's weird It's weird in a situation like that. Does Von Miller really have any revenge against the Rams? I don't think so, but maybe it was just fun to, to light up his former team. Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I think he's just an angry football player, you know? Well, like, I just think Von Miller is just one of these guys who can just really channel his his emotions and his fervor for the game in the game and just, you know, use the anger that he just arbitrarily feels for the opponent into becoming the best pass rusher that he can possibly be. And, like, you know, it, it, it's – I mean, it's a credit to him. I mean, the the husbands of Beverly Hills, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, did not stand a chance that night. No, they didn't. Um, it's really interesting. Von Miller just, you know, is a cool guy. You know, that he studied poultry science. and He actually runs, like, several chicken coops. Um, but he didn't look chicken at all Thursday night. No, indeed. He left the chickens at home on Thursday. Not to mention a very cool guy, but also a very cool-named guy going into the home of the very cool-named guys. I mean, that's And showing up. And showing up the cool-named guys on their cool-named stadium. It's true. He took the cool-name equation and just slammed it down the middle for a sack or two. You think your names are cool? Mine's cooler! I mean, clearly it was cool enough for him to be on that team, you know? Definitely what he was shouting after his ninth sack of the evening. I, I... I can't count. I thought he had a lot more, but apparently it was only two. But uh, on, on the other side of things, on the offense for the Bills, they looked pretty good, you know? Um, Stephon Diggs is Stephon Diggs. Gabe Davis was playing as a starter. I mean, he was a starter at the end of last season, but he had to fill big shoes now that everyone's putting him as the opening day starter as the wide receiver outside next Diggs, and he played his part. Maybe it's just because, you know, he gets the most open coverages, you know, any wide receiver too could in mm. this league because of Josh Allen's scrambling ability, Dawson Knox's presence, and as obviously Stephon Diggs, but he makes his opportunities count. I love how Dawson Knox's presence preceded Stephon Diggs' ability. You know, I just needed to make everyone know that Dawson Knox is, is there, you know. Because he didn't show up on the stat sheet, but he needed to be said that he was there. 
So I also want to take an opportunity to, uh, you know, just uh, recognize the queen who just passed away. God save the queen. Queen Elizabeth was was a very beloved historical figure, and she will be sorely missed, as will her legacy be cherished forever. I contend, Alex Frumkin, and I texted you this on that night, that the late Queen Elizabeth could have taught, could have caught, excuse me, that first Gabriel Davis touchdown pass. I'm sorry, but she could have. That was the easiest touchdown pass I think I've ever seen in an NFL game in my life. I believe 49ers Bears has one pass. That would like to argue. <laughs> I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You're right. You're right. That 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 touchdown pass does supersede the one that I'm referring to, but it is only that one. There is not another one of all time that 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 supersedes the first Gabriel Davis touchdown pass. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, at the end of the day, um, it wasn't that exciting of a game. But we saw what the Bills look like they're going to be. And they're already in mid-season form, which is obviously great if you're trying to contend. No rust on them at all. Um, All I would say is that I certainly think there are better days ahead for the Rams. But it was really strange, particularly their, their backfield was a very interesting situation. We all thought Cam Akers would get the nod and get the touches and then he didn't. But yeah, I think that's really it for our Thursday night football game. And we should, for the most part, just go down to see what left in the Sunday games. And our first game up is Saints at Falcons. So this game was just much closer than it should have been. And I'm, Thoroughly impressed by the Falcons' performance led by Marcus Mariota. I I think my biggest takeaway from it was just that the Falcons' defense came to play, and I did not think they would. It was particularly on their defensive line versus the Saints' offensive line, and they lost important players in free agency. I always forget, I always confuse their tackles. You know, there's Ramchick and Armstead, but one of them went to Dolphins in free agency, and I think. They looked really bad at the start of the game because of offensive line woes. But uh, Jameis Winston, to his credit, was able to turn things around and bring them to a heart-stopping win at the very last minute. Yeah. Honestly, like, the Falcons were feisty. They were very feisty in this game. And, like, you know, it's, it's always so funny to you know, hear how all off season, you know, the NFL consensus decides on their group of three or four teams that are going to be the dregs of the NFL. And we beat that point to death. You know, we beat their, their, their cases to death so many times between, you know, February and August that by the time September rolls around, we just assume that they're going to get clobbered, but then they come out and they're, unsurprisingly, extremely competitive. And I think it's a combination of, A, you know, the team at the very top and the team at the very bottom are far closer than we all sometimes think they are. Not to mention those three or four teams we've been clobbering all offseason have ears. They've been listening to the clobbering, and it pisses them off. 
And I think it motivates them and it fuels them going into these week one matchups because like if you're a bad team, you don't know you're a bad team going into your week one game, right? Like, especially if you are that team, you know, you think that you can win the Super Bowl because you've been training really hard and you've, you've seen that you can get a lot better over the course of, you know, the offseason program. I think most teams don't think that they can win the Super Bowl given what the media is screaming at them, but they're going to try and prove everyone wrong. I think that's a more fair point. Oh, no. I, I think the Seattle Seahawks believe that they could win the Super Bowl today. It's true. It's true. I mean, there were a lot of one-yard line plays that look like Super Bowl plays from what hey, I Hey, man, if they can if they can cast their wizardry on the one-yard line and make their opponents fumble each time, that's, uh, that's going to go a pretty long way, not going to lie. Truly marvelous. But just for wrapping up Falcons, Saints, uh, it was really impressive. It also, Young Koku was maybe the only kicker in this league that was successful, at least on week one. He, I mean, he's been a guy that's been hitting long kicks for a long time, and the only one he missed was, what, a 63-yarder that they forced him to try and make? Hmm. It, it, it's, that was not fair to him. Uh, he was very successful, and uh, uh, Kyle Pitts didn't look the part, I guess, but that's because the Saints were trying to focus in on him. And that's when you only have like one or so super dynamic players, it's going to be hard to move around that situation. But Marcus Mariota, again, did a really good job. Falcons looked very competent overall, which the, the media would not let us think that they would look competent at all week one. Yes, because the media is mean. Moving on to Dolphins-Patriots, specifically Patriots at Dolphins. Oh, thank you. Um, This was an interesting one. Not interesting in terms of final score per se, but like, you know, I thought, honestly, I thought Tua looked very confident. I mean, you know, he he made some really nice throws against the, uh, yeah, against Belichick's defense. Clearly outplayed Mac Jones. And it's funny because like, Mack and Tua, when you boil it down, are very similar quarterbacks. Both fairly limited arms, both very limited mobility. I mean, when they get when either of them get sacked, it looks really, really bad. Because like you you literally think like as they're getting sacked, you literally think that there was nothing that they were going to be able to do to prevent it. Like, I mean, they they have the the elusivity of Joe Flacco. There, I said it. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I thought it was nice how they got Waddle and Hill involved, not just on on deep throws. You know, Tua did have did have a nice handful of deep throws to those guys, but but really, you know, Mike McDaniel got them involved on some short air yard passes, which I think is really Tua's strength. Um, both made some really great catches in in crunch time. There was the fourth and seven play to uh to waddle which went for the touchdown at the end of the half that was amazing i mean that was absolutely amazing and like props to mike mcdaniel that takes some guts that takes some guts in your first nfl game to call a fourth and seven slant at the end of the half when you literally could have just attempted the field goal um did you hear the quote that tyree kill said in the locker room yes i did in fact i was trying very hard to not repeat his quote on the pod um well, but, I won't repeat it, but if if you guys know it, and or if you don't, um, 
there are probably many memes circulating involving this quote and South Park. <laughs> indeed, indeed, yes. I mean, also, I mean, I'm just, I was just surprised because, you know, the Patriots generally scream competency, but it just went to show how limited their offense and maybe just the general Belichick playbook really is by now in the modern NFL. Yeah. Yeah, no. No, I mean, I think that's spot on. You know, the speed advantage for Miami was very apparent. Um, you know, Miami's offense, it was fast. It was decisive. You know, the Pats, honestly, man, you know, the Pats just look slow. They look slow, at times completely lost, like they were just completely lacking offensive direction, almost like, I don't know, they had a defensive coordinator calling plays or something. Um, and uh, I, But at, at the same time, for all of the praise I have just heaped upon the Miami offense, um, it was still their defense that, in my humble opinion, ultimately won this game. Um, they had a fumble six. Yes, they... They stripped Mac Jones, caught the fumble, and ran into the end zone. You always love to see it. Um, And they forced multiple other turnovers. Definitely the difference in the game. Um, Anytime you can get a short field, you know, that's that's obviously huge. Um, And, like, you know, I think you said it. Like, the fact that Mike McDaniel can go into his first NFL game um, and beat a guy like Bill Belichick, is just a testament to how much this league is changing and how if you don't have playmakers, especially speed on the perimeter, you're just not going to be able to compete. I mean, the Patriots looked slow. They looked slow, the slowest I've seen them in years. By the way, fun fact, Ty Montgomery had a rolling touchdown. Yes. What is a rolling touchdown, you ask? Well, kids, a rolling touchdown is when you catch a ball on the five-yard line by diving to make the grab before deciding to roll into the end zone rather than actually get up and jog or lightly walk into the end zone. You should definitely look this up. I guarantee you it is fabulous content, especially if you're a Ty Montgomery fan. You might never see him roll himself into the end zone again. It's very impressive, and most importantly, that that role still fit within his four to five yard average carry consistency. Um, 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 actually, I think I believe the number you're looking for is three. Three is the number. Oh, my sincerest apologies. Yes, yes, that's our three yard man. Don't sell them long. <laughs> Don't sell them long. Um, but if you sell them short, that's also a problem. Indeed, indeed. Give the man his three. Give that man his three. He deserves it. All right. Speaking of selling people short, Baker Mayfield, Browns and <laughs> Panthers. Uh, this was a this was a game that you know the Panthers and probably Baker in particular very much wanted to win, and they simply were not capable of it. <laughs> I had a. I mean, they looked like they almost could, but I've never. Uh, okay, never is a strong word because Baker has clearly looked incompetent at times during his career. But I just think you know, in the grand scheme of the game, he made so many befuddling moves, and but even on like just like snaps and dropbacks at the very beginning that were just so unsettling to watch that. At the end of the day, I, I it's almost shameful that the game was as close as it was. 
I think, you know, when I look at the Panthers, I, I think I'm more just thinking about what ways that they should have played. And, you know, maybe every, every, the NFL is about learning and moving forward. I think, as we are talking, as you said before, for their last game, you need your playmakers. The Panthers did not use their playmakers enough. Uh, Christian McCaffrey really only got heavy use. He had a one really cool leaping uh, jump over the, the, the lines to get his rushing touchdown. But he wasn't used heavily until the fourth quarter, I think. And that maybe part of that was game script. But Christian McCaffrey also could be running more routes and more heavily usage of the, the short pass game, especially given the way Baker's offense was looking overall. And then DJ Moore normally would have factored in more. But instead it was the Robbie Anderson show, so I guess good for him that he brushed off a lot of dust from last year. And maybe there's a connection that he and Baker have that's going to be used more this season. And with the Browns, I'd say just that, man, they're going to have to keep running the ball over and over and over (laughs) and over and over again. Because in particular in this matchup, the Panthers should not have been would not have been able to stop them. But they continued to try and see whether Jacoby Brissett could throw a football. And more <laughs> times than not, he could not. Fancy that. Yeah. Yeah. I fear for the Panthers offensive line. I mean, like on the subject of of, of offensive lines. And granted, Miles Garrett is a tough draw. I mean, that's a tough draw in week one. I mean, he might be he might be the best edge rusher in football. You know, like I know people are gonna say TJ Watt. People are gonna say Aaron Donald is the best pure rusher, even though he's technically an interior lineman. But I think Miles Garrett belongs in that class. And like I wouldn't be surprised if if he usurps those guys by the end of the year to become the consensus number one in that department. Um, leaving off Nick Bosa potentially in that department. Indeed. Um, it should be no no shock to any listeners of the pod, my sentiment on the Cleveland Browns. I'm sure it is one that many across league circles share, although I would profess to lay claim to a particular resentment for their franchise. Um, that said, like they were clearly the better team here. Better roster from top to bottom. Jacoby Brissett versus Baker. Eh. You know, like I take some things with one. I take some things with the other. But at the end of the day, I feel like the better team won. You know, like like it would have felt a bit bizarre if the Panthers had managed to pull this one out. In fact, had the Panthers pulled this one out, I think, you know, we'd be, you know, I think the sky would probably be falling in Cleveland right now. It probably already is falling. It was probably falling, you know, when they suspended Deshaun Watson. But at the same time, like, this was a game that Cleveland had to win, um, you know, if they have if they want to have any chance of making the playoffs. And, you know, kudos to them for being able to pull it out. Yeah, but the Panthers did get really close. So one another player that in the, in the halls of good kickers of week one, there are two kickers. There's Young Hoku. And there is also Cade York, who hit a 58-yard field goal as a rookie to make sure that the Browns could just barely win this game. Why so, wouldn't we just Why wouldn't we just make a hall of crap kickers, and then we could invite more people? You know, halls are normally meant for exclusivity, 
But I suppose we can have a hall where we invite every single kicker in the league besides two. That just sounds like a party where you don't want a few people invited to. Everybody gets a trophy from kick. Does Rodrigo Blankenship get an extra trophy for getting waived immediately after his performance? Also, how is he not waived immediately after his performance in week five of last season against the Ravens? I'm just saying, how did he make it this long? How did he make it to this past Sunday? How did that happen? I'm just saying. Well, one really bad game aside in week five, he was a pretty good kicker, you know, for much of la- for most of last year, um, and he made more kicks than he missed this game. But you know, clearly something was off, and they waved him. Some other team will pick him up, I'm sure. Yes, but yeah, that's that's really it for Browns Panthers. Uh, they lost their Super Bowl. Maybe some other team will win theirs. <laughs> Maybe so. To be revealed at the end of the pod. Hmm. Mm. Ravens at Jets, my purple beasts, which was, I have to admit, looking a little sleepy there in the first half. We had some, uh, we had some mental errors, some carelessness, Lamar mailing in some throws into the flat, which should have been some easy layup completions. Rookie fourth round tight end, Isaiah likely dropping passes that hit him squarely in the hands. Um, Run game continually putrid in the absence of J.K. Dobbins. It was not good. It was not good at all. Um, In fact, it actually reflected shades of last year's running game, which was very much not what you wanted to see if you were me. Um, But at the same time, like, they figured it out. They got it going. Lamar found a groove, and he torched them, which, you know, that was all they needed. Sometimes all you need against an opponent like that is just a handful of good throws. And like to Lamar's credit, he was able to summon more than a handful of good throws, but a handful of really nice throws. Um, Namely three touchdown passes of more than 20 air yards a piece. Yes. He did that against the jets. Yeah. That's, I mean, obviously the Jets' defense has maybe a few guys that are really good. Like Sauce Gardner was a huge draft pick, and he hadn't had a touchdown score on him on his career. I actually don't know. I don't think he was the guy covering uh, Duvernay ever. Yes, or- yes, I should mention that that despite being the absolute best-throwing quarterback in the history of the NFL, even Lamar Jackson dared not challenge Sauce Gardner on any of his three touchdown tosses of the afternoon. Just wanted to put that out there. I mean, I, I can't say that with certainty, but I, I think he does, he wasn't getting challenged for the most part. Um, certainly not, again, the Duvernay throws. But it's really interesting at the end of the day that uh, – the Lamar situation that he didn't play in all in the preseason, and it the rust was there certainly, but you know it just took a half of football to get him back into things, and that's probably going to be why teams will generally conclude, hey, let's not play our guys a lot in the preseason really at all, just because the injury risk is too high. Um, this is not this is not the NBA, but in the NBA we've lately seen a lot of injuries from players playing in the pro-ams, pro-amateur leagues, 
that are going on for fun because, you know, basketball is a fun sport that you can play in a lot less organized manner. And guys have been getting hurt even doing that, so teams might clamp down. But this is the sanctioned preseason, which is not counting for anything except building chemistry. So yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first half was their preseason. I mean, that's that's what I concluded after the game. You know, they just needed a couple of series to get all of the bad juju out, and and you know, once they were able to do that, they promptly handled their business. So. Credit to the purple team. Yeah, credit to the purple team. And I just think both teams are probably going to have a similar philosophy on this issue, even with the woes of the starting. Maybe like the Denver Broncos might decide to do things differently. Mm. Uh, I think more teams than not will probably just bet on the fact that they can brush it off within a part of the game. You know, I actually tend to believe the Denver Broncos don't need to do anything differently than they did the other night. But, you know, that's... I think you might especially think that the the one game where the Ravens and Broncos play each other. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. 49ers at Bears. Yes, let's mention let's not forget how the Ravens despite being awarded a fourth place schedule were actually robbed of a fourth place draw the moment Russell Wilson decided to go to the Denver Broncos. Indeed, but that is one single game. You still get to play other fourth place teams. And you still get to play the Atlanta Falcons. So <laughs> just enjoy that. All right. I love how you put fourth place teams and the Atlanta Falcons in, in, in different sentences. I put them in different sentences because the fourth place finish obviously only refers to AFC teams. Mm. Nevertheless, 49ers at Bears. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. <laughs> my emotions about this game. I I wasn't brought to tears literally, but I I was moved deeply by the resilience and poise that Justin Fields showed. Because that man is my quarterback. <laughs> And we didn't have to trade three first-rounders to get him. We had to trade one and a fourth. So savage, dude. But that one first-rounder and a fourth was enough for us. Oh, man. I love him. I have so many GIFs and pictures of him saved on my phone as of this moment. <laughs> I'm thinking about when I will finally purchase my my Justin Fields jersey. I thought I was going to purchase a Sid, a throw it back to Sid Luckman for my first ever Bears jersey, but no, it has to be JF1 because just like the AF1, he really took off this game. I, we did not show great prowess in our offensive line. That was, that was pretty bad. Um, But Justin Fields had a spectacular touchdown when he was able to scramble out of it because he is the anti-Tua Tagovailoa in terms of elusivity. He got out of the situation like a slippery seal in the pocket and threw it out to the one and only Dante Pettis, who felt the need to have his own revenge game. That one beautiful play that could have been caught by both the dead Queen Elizabeth as well as Virginia McCaskey uh, really <laughs> sold that the fact that the 49ers weren't in the right headspace. I There were a lot of reasons that... The 49ers, in general, on paper, are the better team. 
but they didn't have everything in place for this game. And the Bears, as much as I love them, I don't think, you know, it was it was very largely a weather-based thing, I would imagine. There was a lot of uh, confounding variables that put the 49ers into a situation where the Bears could take advantage. Because the 49ers looked okay in the first half, bad in the second half. Bears looked awful in the first half and okay, decent in the second half. But a win's a win, and that's why we love football. Yes, indeed. One aspect of this game that looked good for four quarters was that beautiful, beautiful grassy field. Truly. Don't Indeed. we all love it when our grassy fields are covered by puddles? Yes, when your grassy fields are literally underwater. It wasn't the grass's fault, though, okay? We spent good money on that Bermuda grass. The grass did not ask for this. No, it did not. That said, the Duke landscaping team could never make a situation look this poor. Mm. But but seriously, though, I am quite happy that, that you got to experience that as a Bears fan. Um, that was a really, really great win. Um, and, and, and not only that, but it was a really – I think it was a really meaningful, like, visceral win for the entire organization, you know? Like, talk about – one of the three to four teams that just got completely written off during the off season. And then to go out, I mean like the 49ers were literally everyone's survivor pick, right? Like, I mean, that was the, that was the survivor pick. Everyone, everyone was touting on all of the, you know, podcasts and national, you know, TV and radio stations, but no, the bears were having none of it. And while you may not have been moved to tears by the outcome of that game, the late Mike Ditka sure was. It's true. You only cried about two things, this and probably some servers doing shady things at his restaurants. It's neither here nor there. And of course, you know, the fact that at least one touchdown was scored. It's true. Only could only be field goals in the rain. Wouldn't that have been lovely? Indeed, indeed. I, I think he would have actually lost it if, if, if that had been the way this win materialized. It's true. But 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 alas, if only we had had the chance to pit the late great Queen Elizabeth against Virginia McCaskey in an NFL skills competition. I, I can't I cannot handle thinking about that at this very moment. I'm trying to think of a player comp and it's, it's simply impossible. Yes, indeed. Shall we move on then? I suppose we shall because I have very little additional football insight to give except, hey, Debo Samuels is running the ball again. What do you know? Mm, mm. Ah, yes. What could potentially go down as the shit show game of the year. Steelers at Bengals. What a shit show, man. What an absolute shit show. Now that I've gotten that off my chest, Let's dive into the actual analysis of this game. So, like, you know, folks today might be coming down hard on the Bengals for literally turning the ball over five times and still managing to lose. Well, well, actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I take that back. For, for turning the ball over five times when, you know, they were literally just in the Super Bowl. Like, how could you do this? 
Well, that's just kind of what the Steelers' defense does. I mean, I can recall a game two seasons ago, which, for the record, their defense has managed to remain surprisingly intact over the last several seasons. I mean, just about all the guys that you see on their defensive front, you know, this season were on their defensive front two seasons ago in the game, which I'm about to briefly go back to. But the Ravens literally in this game turned the ball over four times to the Steelers. And like when they weren't turning the ball over, they were moving the ball up and down the field on them. And yet they were getting to the very end of the drive and turning it over. Or they were turning it over inside their own 20 and the Steelers were able to capitalize on literally a 15-yard goal-to-go distance. And that is the Steelers' formula. That's how they have to win games. They have to literally create turnovers. And, and to be fair, they are very, very good at it. I mean, Joe Burrow was literally just throwing a pass, and that pass was not making it past the front seven because T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward and those boys were literally just raising their arms up and catching the ball. I mean, like, I've never seen anything like it. They must have done that twice in this game, maybe even three times. There were a couple of turnovers in which Burrow just made a bad read downfield, which, you know, those are going to happen. Minka Fitzpatrick is an actual freak of nature. We understand that. You know, we get that. But, like, just, you know, overall, the Bengals were clearly the better team in this game. I mean, the offense was crisper. Burrow was clearly the better quarterback. I mean, not even a discussion. Mitchell Trubisky is got four interceptions. Who threw four interceptions? Don't talk to my MVP like that. Don't talk to my MVP like that. I'm sorry, but he sucks. I'm just going to say it. He is awful. He should not be starting for this team. They should just see what they have with Kenny Pickett and move on. But that's neither here nor there. Mitchell Trubisky was horrendous in this game. That said, um, you know, the Steelers turned the ball over five times and put up 23 points. I'll repeat that statement. The Steelers turned the ball over five times and scored. No, no, no. No, no, I'm sorry. The Steelers recovered five turnovers and scored 23 points. I got that backwards. How is that possible? How is that possible? I mean, like, they could have lost this game. They literally could have lost this game. They had to block an extra point and pray that Evan McPherson missed a game-winning field goal, which he did. Um, in fact, both Chris Boswell and Evan McPherson, who are commonly regarded as two of the best kickers in the game today, both missed game-winning field goals, which were both backbreakers for their respective teams. Um, so just, just an unbelievable, ugly mess. And it was apparent that Burrow just was was having a really, really difficult time. I mean, you know, he's going to have nightmares about T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, and and all of those guys. You know, he's going to have nightmares about those guys. Because, I mean, that, that was just an unbelievable aberration. They're not going to even approach that level of, of sloppiness against any other defense this year. Because, again, that's just what the Steelers' defense does. I can't explain it. It shouldn't be possible. But they literally manufacture turnovers when they need them. I mean, it's almost like they 
it's almost like they have sorcery on their side. I don't know how they do this, but it's clearly working well enough for them because they're able to win games in spite of all reason and logic in 2022. They are pulling these wins out and I've got to give them credit. The TJ Watt injury, it's pretty devastating, not going to lie. Thankfully, they got some good news on Najee Harris. He could potentially play Sunday. But man, oh man, was that hard to watch. Yeah. Um, For me, I'm just thinking about really the one drive that uh, the the penalties over and over and over again. And they kept drawing in closer and closer to the the end zone uh, for the goal to go. And they kept, and Joe Bro kept trying to pass this ball to Jamar Chase. And it took like what felt like 50 attempts, but they <laughs> scored a touchdown and then got the extra point blocked. Because that is what the Steelers do. And only penalties, perhaps, even brought them to it. Um, they were very much in Bro's head. Um, I think part of it might be that, you know, obviously. There was some, you know, there's sometimes there's fire underneath you when you come from a loss, but I feel like the Super Bowl loss is like the one exception where it's, that's just disheartening and it's hard for you to shake it off and go into your first game of football on, on clean positioning right away. Disheartening, um, you know, hard. It, it really festers because you have seven months to think about it, right? Um you know, so so in that regard, yes, 100% agree. Um, yes, got to love the Steelers' decision on that final touchdown to Jamar Chase uh, in coverage to literally place a corner whose last name I've never seen before approximately five yards away from Jamar Chase. And that is your only line of defense against that man. Especially when T. Higgins isn't even on the field. Especially when T. Higgins isn't even on the field. I love the creative decision by the Steelers' defensive coaches to literally put one man five yards away from Jamar Chase on the final play of the game and expect that that would be good enough. Well done, Steelers. Well done. In breaking news, it was not enough. But (laughs) it almost was because they still lost because they blocked the extra point because we all know how easy it is to block the extra point. Yes. Yes. Because that's definitely going to happen 17 more times this season, obviously. Yeah. All right. I cannot talk about the Steelers any longer. And I'm sure you, neither can I, neither can I, I, it, do you realize how much I would have hated both teams even more than I already do now? if the Steelers had allowed the Bengals to win that game after the Bengals had coughed it up five times, do you have any idea how beyond irate I would have been? My TV might not have survived. My TV might not have made it through the night. I am not going to kid you. I, I might not have had a functional TV the next morning had the Steelers allowed that to happen in spite of forcing five turnovers against the Bengals. Your television is trembling in fear as you read this out. It, it was. Oh, oh, believe me, it sure was. 
Well, I'm glad your television set survived because you're going to have to watch plenty of more games this coming week. Fortunate, hopefully none that'll ever resemble anything like that. I think we can all agree. Indeed. All right, next game, Eagles at Lions. Mm. This was a fun game because both of these teams are ascending, I would say, generally in the their landscape and positioning in the NFL. Lions, particularly with the Dan Campbell culture. And I think that was, even though the Lions lost, the, the heart that this team has continued to show since he has taken the helm at head coach has been remarkable. And they don't have nearly as much personnel on the defensive side of the ball as the Eagles did, but even their defense came to play uh, at the end when they almost pulled a comeback. And their offense, was it wasn't firing on all cylinders by any regards, but that's probably never going to happen if Jared Goff is your permanent QB. It still looked really good for what it was with the passing core of Amon Ross St. Brown. Remarkable name, by the way. It is ridiculous that he is not a Los Angeles Ram. Truly an American tragedy. Go on. But uh, besides him, also DJ Charco, I used to love when he was in Jacksonville. Um, he came to play uh, TJ Hawkinson. Um, and um, we can't go without mentioning DeAndre Swift. Um, they have really good skill personnel, at least maybe not, not the depth of wide receiver, but they drafted Jamison Williams, who could become really special too. So this team has a lot going for it. It's just that the Eagles are ahead of them. And they brought in A.J. Brown, who had a historic game of football. It was the third most receiving yards by any receiver that was traded on their opening day game in the past 30 years. The only receivers to beat him were Anquan Bolden in 2003 and uh, Randy Moss and I think, what, 2008. I could be wrong on the years, but the third best traded opening game for a receiver in the past 30 years because Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown went directly back to their college connection. I said on the last episode that I, I think this is overrated, but chemistry is chemistry. That's what matters between a, a QB and his receiver. We saw that with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Maybe we see that now with A.J. Brown, who had, again, more than 150 receiving yards from Jalen Hurts. That is a miracle that Jalen Hurts was able to give a single receiver 150 <laughs> yards through the air. Love the confidence. Love the confidence in the man. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, I just want to preface my comments. I agree with all of that, by the way. I just want to preface my own comments by saying that Hard Knocks with the Lions this year was fantastic. I mean, it, 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 it was so entertaining. Um, and, like, I just want to tip my hat to the, you know, to the folks over at HBO. They did a great job with it. Also wanted to let them know if they're listening to this that they should sponsor us. Just point it out there. But, but you know. Um, anyway, no sponsors us after this call. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, we're we're done. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of torn on, on these lions. You know, like on the one hand, what a remarkable comeback effort. Um, but on the other hand, like this is now the second year in a row we've seen this in week one from them. Last year, if if y'all will recall, it was against the 49ers. And they got down big early, but they came storming back at the end, only to come up just short, just as they did this past Sunday. 
And I'm wondering, should we be net excited about this? Because it implies that the team plays their butts off for Dan Campbell until the final whistle? Or should we be concerned about this, given that it seems like they're always having to claw themselves back into a game and it always seems to be too little too late? I think that, for the most part, this situation is going to only be solvable when you have a competent NFL defense. And that is very much not what the Detroit Lions have right now. You're not looking at this team to be uh, contending anytime soon, but they just drafted Aiden Hutchinson, who kind of gave himself. <laughs> you're not looking. You're not looking at this team to stop touchdown drives anytime soon. Essentially, correct. But you know they also have some prospects. Um, well, uh, Jeff Okuda and. I'm going to butcher the other corner's name, so I'm not even going to say it. Uh, but they have some they have some, they have some, guys. Um, they need to assemble a lot more of their starting defense. But I would say more overall that this is encouraging. More encouraging than anything else. Uh, especially that uh, they kept the, – the, that they showed the defensive pressure at the end of the game. Uh, it's just that they have to – work on well a lot of the fundamentals really for but sure I, I would say that it's this is a step in the right direction um this is very different than the year the last week one which to me felt a lot flukier than this this yeah. one they actually were competing for much of the game they were up early and then the eagles went on a bit of a berserk run yeah. uh speaking of the run that's particularly what seems to be the weakness right now yeah. For Detroit, just guys being able to run all over them. That's four rushing touchdowns from four different teams, but uh, four different players, but not a single passing touchdown. They are stopping guys uh, on, on in passing plays. So there are things there to work with on the defense, but good things ahead. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, work in progress. Absolutely. But now that we've finished our kneecap soup, I would say that it's time for us to move on to our next game. Jags at Commanders. Another very interesting one. And in my humble opinion, one of the more entertaining games on the slate that didn't get nearly talked about enough. Um, a lot of interesting, great takeaways from this one. I think we talked about this game more about the Washington name than about the actual game itself. Yes, indeed. Indeed, we did. Which is why I'm going to actually talk about real football in this segment. So, you know, I, I, I do think at the end of the day, you know, the better roster and quarterback won. Um, Carson Wentz was the better quarterback. I mean, he was he was absolutely sensational in this game. I mean, I'm just going to say it. He was fantastic. He was an excellent distributor of the football. He was slinging the ball all over the field to extend drives, getting it to all of his receivers. He made some throws in this game. He finished with four touchdown passes. I thought... I honestly don't think it's a stretch to say that this was one of the best games I've ever seen him play. I mean, he was dialed in. He was locked in. He was ready to go. And honestly, like, I think a large part of that is he knows this is it. You know? Now, going up against the Jags certainly helps. But, like, you know, (laughs) 
that was just a truly impressive performance by Carson Wentz. His week one debut could not have gone any better. And I do believe that's going to buy him some significant equity with both the fans and the coaches um, and everyone else within that organization. Um, You know, even his two picks, he did throw two interceptions in this game. Even those, even his two picks, I thought were far more great defensive plays than they were poor judgment on his part. You know, one of them, one of them was literally like a classic, you know, the ball floats up in the air and if it had floated up in the air for literally a half second less, the DB would not have gotten there in time. And then the other one, which was arguably even more athletic a play by the defender, was a an attempted check down over the middle, which Trayvon Walker had to literally do a 180 on pure instinct to lurch back to intercept. I still don't know how he did this or how he had the instinctual awareness to make to make this play, but it was just a f- fantastic play by Trayvon Walker. And if you take those two throws out of the game, like Carson could have played a perfect game. I mean, like he was literally that good. And at the end of the day, I'm I'm not at all surprised that his team won, you know, because of it. Now, you know, Trevor Lawrence, on the other hand, you know, he he showed his usual flashes of brilliance, but you know, not gonna lie, he, he kind of remains one of the more difficult quarterbacks in the league for me to evaluate. Simply because, like, whenever I watch the Jags, I always find myself thinking, beyond him and his skill guys, you know, his his, his running backs, Robinson and uh, Etienne, and then all of their wide receivers, I honestly think that they are by far the most talented guys on the team. And after that, there's a significant drop-off. I don't think the O-line is good. I don't think the D-line is good. Carson Wentz had all day to make his reads, which I'm sure contributed to his stellar performance. Um, and like, not only that, but like, you know, (laughs) Trevor's receivers really betrayed him in some really, really unfortunate spots. There was one series in the red zone in particular, whereby literally two heinous drops in succession cost them seven points a piece. Um, but like all in all a pretty entertaining one, you know, it, it was mostly back and forth throughout, but at the end of the day, the better quarterback and roster clearly won the game. And, uh, you know, I got to tip my hat to Carson Wentz. He's had a tough offseason, a lot of people laying into him, and he really showed up and he delivered in this one. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, And also one thing to add is that the offense, you know, was even outside – I mean, obviously it was mostly a passing game. But Antonio Gibson still, as a ball carrier, you know, looked really good. And there were a lot of rumors in training camp and preseason rumbling that – he wouldn't even be the guy that was starting if it wasn't for the fact that Brian Robinson was shot. You know, that's after that's that's quite the fall from grace considering the numbers that Antonio Gibson was just very recently putting up and he put them up again. Uh the Commanders which is really interesting considering they're coached by Ron Rivera and they chose to draft Chase Young a few years back. They wanted to be a defensive team and now they look like anything but defense. But that's okay if you can win a shootout. And that this looks like this team is they're not, you know, I'm not gonna say that they're going to compete with truly elite teams like say the Chargers or the Chiefs or the Bills or anything like that. But they do have firepower. Um and I think 
Carson Wentz has shown that he's really good at utilizing his weapons. I, I mean, he gave Curtis Samuel the best game he had had in a very long time. Jahan Dotson was a rookie wide receiver, and he got him two touchdowns. You know, he knows how to utilize his players. Like we even saw last year, you know, he he brought up Michael Pittman's status as well. He he knows how to how to use skill position players. So it'll be very exciting to see where this team moves in the future. Yeah, yeah, and like honestly, not much unlike where the Jags are right now. I think. I mean, you know, for you know, just just think back to Week One last year this time, and how they just got absolutely boat raced by Houston. I mean, they were competitive in this game. They were leading in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, you know, they put up 22 points, and it could have been more had they not missed a field goal. Um, you know, they are they are definitely on the ascent. But you know, much as you just implied for Washington, you know, I I think it really starts in the trenches. And if if both teams can get, can get better in the trenches, um, you know, I think they could absolutely make noise in the in the wild card race for sure. So. All right, moving on to the next game. Um, we went from Carson Wentz's current team to his last one, the Indianapolis Colts uh, at Houston Texans. Why was this game this close? It is still unfathomable to me, and I watched the entire extent of it. Houston um, is doing... There's something has to be in the water. I really don't know how to describe it, because in terms of personnel, uh, this match looked like it sh- nothing should have happened, and that the fact that they were up by 17 on the Indianapolis Colts after everything that happened this offseason is, is nothing short of remarkable. This is why we love football, you know? Um, I would say that my biggest takeaway was that, on, in terms of the Texans' offense, that it, it wasn't spectacular. But Davis Mills is showing degrees of competency as he grows in this league, um, he has an established connection with Brandon Cooks, but there's really very little on offense otherwise. So he's been relying on big safety blankets with tight ends. And somehow O.J. Howard, who wasn't even on their roster a week before this game, ended up with two touchdowns. Just because um, the Colts clearly weren't covering him very well. And... Uh, Davis Mills was able to exploit those weaknesses, so he is showing some good intellect with his decision-making as a quarterback. Um, But I was just very underwhelmed by the Colts overall with their pressure on the defensive line. The Colts just have so much more on both sides of the ball that they really shouldn't have any excuse for being able to lose to the Texans. They are very, very lucky that it was only a tie at the end of the day. But similarly, because the the Texans are a very young team for the most part, they weren't clutch and they made a lot of mistakes at the end. Uh, the, The defensive pressure that they were putting up early in the game, and they were being quite pesky during much of it, uh, disappeared by the time we were in the fourth quarter. And, uh, they were sloppy, which gave, the Colts, uh, a very Pittsburgh Steeler-esque drive when they were about, uh, they were within the red zone right away. But uh, to give credit where credit is due, uh, Matt Ryan obviously just had to work his way into the system. Uh, 
even if you're a good QB, it takes time to adjust, as we saw with other QBs, certainly in this in this week one slate, that you can't necessarily come into things right away and uh, have a smooth transition. But it took some time, but he, the connection with Michael Pittman established. And, of course, Jonathan Taylor is Jonathan Taylor, so he continued to be a wrecking ball. It's weird that he didn't it, – it, he's just – when you, if you hear the fact that uh, Jonathan Taylor had 30 carries, you would think that I, – I, I don't know. I would imagine that uh, the that's because of the game script just showed that they were able to win by so much. But, no, that's not really what happened. It was a quiet game. Um, it was a game defined by some poor kicking in the overtime as well. That's just what has to happen in week one, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, once again, the Colts continue their week one woes. And once again, a bottom feeder team that everyone wrote off during the offseason was competitive until the final whistle. I mean, it, it really is amazing when you think about it. Between the Texans, the Falcons, the Seahawks, uh, the Bears. The Bears actually won their game. But, like, you know, all these teams that everyone literally wrote off during the offseason, they were all in it until the end, or they came out on top. It's really just truly remarkable, and it's, it's as you said, it's a testament to what makes football so great. Moving on, Giants at Titans. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this was sneakily one of the very best games of the weekend. This game was so much fun. Um, and honestly, not for, I think, me, not for anyone who chose the Titans. No yes, yes. What a caveat. What a caveat. If you did select one, the Tennessee Titans in your survivor pool, per se, perhaps this game was not as much fun for you as it was for me, the casual impartial observer. But excluding that sad little cohort of clowns for one. Yes. There, there I said it. That's what you get for betting against the goat from King. Okay. That's what you get. That's exactly what you get. Um, Don't bet against Danny dimes, not on my watch, but, but, but seriously, getting back to the game, this, this I think was one of not just the not just one of the most entertaining games of the weekend, but one of the best stories of the weekend. In addition, you know, for the record, you know, to the Bears winning their game against the Niners, um, you know, I think I think this was a great weekend for the New York Giants for New York football, um, and it was also a great moment for Saquon Barkley, um, who I think might have been the best player on the field during this game, better than Derrick Henry, better than either of the quarterbacks. Um, you know, and, and for the record, as I'll get to in a minute, I thought the quarterbacks played well, but Barkley, I mean, he had the same burst. He had the same speed. He had the same power as he did as a rookie. I mean, you know, it was, it was the same old Saquon that we know from, from way back in the day before he regretfully went on this recent tear of injuries. Um, that had to be very encouraging for Giants fans, uh, for the organization, for, (laughs) Everyone who took a leap of faith once again on him in fantasy this year. Um, just a truly, truly great, great bounce back performance for Saquon. 
Um, and, you know, by all accounts, he is, you know, he's a great person off the field. And, you know, I thought he really deserved that. Not least of which his exciting two point conversion to, to close out the game. Uh, just a really incredible moment. I thought, um, you know, beyond that, I thought Tannehill had a really good game. Um, and you know, obviously he lost and so he's, he's not going to get talked about, but you know, I thought he had a really solid game. He was a really good distributor, especially on third down. I thought there were a couple of times when his receivers actually betrayed him in big spots um, and, and and that the Titans could have put up even more points. I thought their offense moved the ball really well. I thought he in particular distributed the ball very well. He spread it around to all of his guys. They got Derrick Henry reasonably involved. Um, and I, I'm not going to lie, Danny Dimes, he made some plays too. He made some really, really nice plays, some really athletic plays, both with his feet and with his arm. And unfortunately, he came up just a tad bit short. Uh, sorry, he didn't come up a tad bit short. Ryan Tannehill came up a tad bit short. But bottom line is, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if these teams played each other 10 times. I would not be surprised if they split 5-5. Five to five. I actually think they're pretty evenly matched. Um, I don't know how good either one of them is. I don't know if they're both good or if they're both bad. But at the same time, like, if, if, if this week was any indication of how the teams physically match up with one another, I actually think it's a really, really even fight. Um, and, you know, but, you know, not like we're going to see them play each other again this year, but, but I thought it was a really entertaining game and that there was a lot of good stuff actually to see on both sides. Yeah. I mean, that's all good and fair. I, I think I was just more surprised within, within Tennessee that, I, I'm not sure who who's the main corner in, in New York, but I was surprised at how little Robert Woods was able to get involved for Tennessee. Uh, I think there was a good showing in their their replacement for AJ Brown and Traylon Burks, but Robert Woods uh, didn't show up at all in the stat sheet. Um, and also, I was very surprised by the New York Giants' ability to neutralize Derrick Henry because we all know what that man's stiff arm alone can do. But yeah, besides that, I think that's pretty much all the game really had to discuss and you took care of it. So let's just move on to the next one. Packers and Vikings. It brings me great joy <laughs> when Aaron Rodgers is so thoroughly humbled. He was down by 20, man. This team without Devontae Adams, I said last week, is just Rodgers and running backs. And that is essentially what it is. Um, Sammy Watkins, uh, Randall Cobb, and Romeo Dobbs is not an elite core by any stretch of imagination. And uh, Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to do very much with it despite the the – Vikings having a pretty weak passing defense, I would generally say, based on what we saw last year. Nevertheless, the the impressiveness all, of course, goes on the off, offensive side of the ball for Minnesota. Justin Jefferson having one of the best games of his career. Um, nearly uh, more than 150 receiving yards and two touchdowns in the first half. In the first half. <laughs> So, Quite the distinction. Yeah. Quite the distinction there. It really is. He was 
it was very quiet, relatively speaking, in the second half, only getting maybe 30 receiving yards. It's almost as if they decided, finally, we should cover him on defense. I don't really understand it. Um, I don't know what the scheming was exactly, but Jair Alexander, who is the lockdown corner for the Packers, only was on Justin Jefferson for three targets. Where was he the rest of the game? Why wouldn't you put him anywhere else for any part of the game? Indeed. Indeed, yeah. Justin Jefferson's a superstar. He is a superstar in this league, and I think it's time we all accepted that. Um, he, he completely wrecked the Packers. I mean, he, he systematically dismantled them. Um, that was hard to watch. That was really hard to watch. Also, for me to watch. <laughs> yes, yes, of course, unless you were a Bears fan, in which case it was beautiful for you to watch. Um, but also, like, Aaron, you've got to, like, actually throw to your rookie receivers more. I mean, like, literally one of them, Christian Watson, I think it was, drops, you know, drops an early touchdown and, like, pretty sure he, like, never goes back to him until the very end of the game when he absolutely had to go back to him. I mean, like, man, what are you doing? You know, like these guys are rookies, you know, like they're rookies. They're in a huge spot. They're playing on the road. I mean, what do you expect? You know, drops happen. Drops happen when you're an all pro player. You know, I just think Aaron sometimes has a tendency to bail on guys when they make a mistake early in games. And I do believe that had, you know, had that not been his his first instinct, that that they wouldn't have fallen this behind and that, you know, it wouldn't be so untenable for them to try to come back at the very end as it was. Um, but all that aside, I do think the Packers will will steadily improve as the season goes on. I don't think this says anything about, you know, a death knell for their season or anything of the sort. I just think they need to, you know, do some looking in the mirror. Aaron, Aaron especially, in my opinion. The rookie receivers need to need to continue to step it up and uh you know i think they'll be fine but for right now i mean you know if you didn't think the vikings could win this division before you know think again the vikings could absolutely win this division and they have a much easier schedule than the packers and so with that said i think it's not unlikely at all in fact pretty sure i might have predicted them to win the division we don't do division predictions technically here at hitch route but but independently, I, I do predict them to win the NFC North this year. I, I feel almost certain that I said that they sh- would win the NFC North on this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I also think it should be worth noting that clearly Packers were not full strength. But on like in terms of skill positions, that didn't mean much. Alan Lazard might be the nominal wide receiver one, but I don't think that, that he's no force to be reckoned with that dramatically changes the game. But it's someone that Aaron Rodgers trusts. And uh, as you said, he's very picky with his trust. So yeah. that would have made a difference, especially for week one. And more, more importantly, they were missing two starting tackles in David Bakhtiari and Elkin Jenkins. Yeah. So, you know, the Packers O-line definitely looked good enough from a, a running – for like the carries and short pass game, but – Probably a major reason why the deep passes weren't nearly as effective was the much weakened O-line. For sure. Awesome. Moving on to 
another great game on the week one slate, another divisional showdown between the Raiders and the Chargers. So I just want to say, first of all, the Chargers are absolutely stacked um, offensively and defensively. Um, You know, we say their roster is great every year, it seems, but like this time it is different. I mean, if they don't make the playoffs and win at least one playoff game, it will be a national embarrassment. Not just like an L.A. embarrassment, like a national embarrassment. It can't be an L.A. embarrassment because no one watches football in L.A. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for finishing that sentence. Um, Like, I mean, Herbert was predictably excellent, throwing howitzers all over the field. To all sorts of different guys, by the way, not just Mike Williams and Keenan and uh, Keenan Allen. In fact, he did not throw any to Keenan Allen. Yes, Keenan Allen had a grand total of ten receiving yards in this game. Yes, ten receiving yards and another injury. Well done, Keenan. Um, I, I, honestly, it felt so like it, Joey. Uh, it's Mike Williams who had no ten yards, but the injury was Keenan. Yes, yes, the injury is always Keenan. That is always the answer to the test. That Keenan Allen is injured. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, it, it felt like Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack really kind of got the best of the Raiders O line here. Um, but at the same time, like I still felt consistently it's like Carr for dropping the greatest lineman of all time in Alex Leatherwood. Well, well, I mean, what else did you think would happen? I mean, you know, when you do when you draft a fourth rounder in the first round, you know, and then you let that guy go, it's going to be ugly for you. You know, that's that's kind of the way it goes. But uh, and, and like despite that, though, despite what what looked to me like one unit clearly getting the best of the other, I thought Carr had plenty of time to throw throughout most of the game. Sure, he got sacked a few times, but like that's going to happen in week one. You know that. The O-lines are consistently behind the pass rushes, especially to start out the season. We talked about that earlier. Um, and it's really too bad because, like, you know, it really felt like outside of three senseless interceptions, and he did throw three senseless interceptions, none of them came on third or fourth down. So he technically did not have to force any of the three. Outside of those three throws, I thought Carr otherwise had a really nice game. You know, he stood in the pocket. He made really good reads. He showed some elusiveness. He actually made some really big time plays in crunch spots outside the pocket. Um, you know, I have no doubt whatsoever that Carr, despite his suspect at best defense, could have won this game had he been a bit less careless with the football. And, uh, you know, it's strange because he's usually much more careful with it. But I really do think what happened in this game is that he looked across the other sideline. And he saw just how sensational Justin Herbert was throwing downfield. And it's almost like he felt like he he had to match that, you know, which like really isn't his game. I mean, sure, you know, he can hit the occasional, you know, freebie downfield. But like Carr's much more of a precision short to intermediate guy who can occasionally leave the pocket and make a nice throw on the run. And like, again, outside of those three senseless picks, I thought he did just that, and when he did just that, he played great. So I'm not out on Carr. I'm not out on the Raiders whatsoever. Um, they could have easily won this game if 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 Carr had made a few not-so-disastrous decisions. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited for the next time these two teams play because I think it's going to be just as competitive next time. I agree on 
that he is generally known for his short and medium passing game. But uh, I would disagree on the reasoning primarily as to why he changed the way he threw. And that is Devontae Adams. I mean, Devontae Adams very well might be... Maybe, I don't know. I mean, with Aaron Rodgers, it was different, but he still very well, in terms of route running, might be might be the best uh, pure route runner in this league. He is truly a phenomenal wide receiver, and clearly he is scheme-proof, uh, coach-proof, uh, quarterback-proof, but not that he needs proofing from Derek Carr. Uh, he had a great game, and uh, Derek Carr wants to be unleashed and take things to the next level more generally now that he has um, his college teammates. Again, these college teammates really want to, to reunite. Um, yeah. Difference being that this is the only college teammate that's getting paid about $30 million a year to catch balls. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point you make, you know, between Burrow and Chase, you know, now these two. I mean, it's a very, very real thing. That that chemistry is very real. You have such a years-long advantage over, you know, the next QB receiver pairing, um, you know, that you know, which the league has to offer. But you know, people are coming from are coming for Derek Carr today, and like, I really don't think they should. I mean, obviously, he needs to be held accountable for the three picks. But like, you know, to say that, like, you know, oh, you know, Carr is awful. Like, like he, he's never going to compete. No, no, he's not. You know, like he's fine. He's he's going to be fine. The Raiders are going to be fine. They they might finish in fourth place, and like in this division, that might just be good enough, which is really saying something. I mean, the Raiders could literally finish nine and eight, or ten and seven, and make the playoffs despite being in fourth place in their division, because all of the teams in their division are just that good. And I think Derek Carr can absolutely go toe-to-toe with all of them. I mean, he beat the Chargers last year, you know, in, in the play-in game to uh, to uh, go to the playoffs. He he beat Mahomes two seasons ago when the, you know, when the Chiefs were absolutely flying all over the field. <clears throat> he has yet to beat Russell Wilson's Broncos, but that's only because he hasn't had the opportunity yet. Um, so, like, he can absolutely do it. I mean, I, I have no doubt about that whatsoever, and I think he's going to come back with a vengeance the next time these two face each other. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, that's really – that's it for the games uh, before primetime. Well, okay, there's one other game that technically occurred. Yes, the meme game. Yes, uh, Chiefs at Cardinals. Uh, you and I were both – quite befuddled by this one. Yes. While Mahomes was throwing five touchdown passes, Kyler Murray was phoning his boys and respawning his character in a round of cod. In his head, perhaps. It definitely looked like he wasn't mentally present for this game. Yes. Oh, no, I believe he was doing it on the field as well. Ah. Yes. Quite possible, but uh, I don't think... Kyler is that gifted to be able to even attempt doing all those feats at the same time. You know what's funny? I think we've literally given this game all the coverage it now deserves. Um, the only thing I can think to add would be that uh, he didn't do his independent studies this week. Really. <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. I love it. Hit him where it hurts. <laughs> Hit him right where it hurts. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh, dude. What a train wreck, man. Arizona, I, I feel like Arizona is a team that I'm actually concerned about. Like, like, how do you come out and look that bad? Like, I understand that, like, DeAndre Hopkins is hurt. Or, sorry, not that he's hurt. He's that, hurt by his own criminality yes. of the league. Yes. He has hurt himself in the metaphysical sense via some questionable ac- activity off the field. But, like, still, I mean, that was just embarrassing. I mean, the final score the final score does not reflect how, how lopsided that game was. I mean, the fact that they even scored 21 points doesn't even seem possible by the way they played. I mean, it was um, 37 to 7 at one point. Right. Right, exactly. I, I, I mean, that, that should have been the final score. They should have, like, Arizona should not have been allowed to score any more points after they got their seven. Thank goodness for yield, yield uh, garbage time. Yes, yes. And the, and the vaunted prevent defense. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just a really sad showing by Arizona. I, I have real concerns for them. Um, you know, I think there's some, some real turmoil inside that building between the contract drama, uh, Kyler and his agent going rogue. Um, the, uh, the, uh, Marquise Hollywood alligator arms Brown incident over the off season when he was going a hundred and however fast he was going on the, in the school zone. Um, just, just, just a lot of noise, a lot of drama, and I'm not very optimistic for their prospects. It's happening and decided to trade him right before it could happen while he was wearing a Ravens jersey. Wait, what? I didn't know about this Marquise Brown thing. I honestly missed that storyline entirely. Did he trade? Was this trade before? Does EDC have Nostradamus-level prediction? <laughs> well, first of all, yes, he does. Secondly, in this instance, he actually did not even have to use that. Because Hollywood Marquis Alligator Arms Brown was so disgruntled with his role in the Ravens offense, which is actually quite funny when you think about it, because he was literally fifth in targets, but fourth in drops in 2021. Um, but, you know, he was so disgruntled with, with their system that he asked for a trade like before the draft and they granted him this trade during the draft. And then he goes off and has this speeding incident, and I believe it was early August, so well after he had been traded, long after he had settled into his new home. But, like, again, more drama, more loosey-goosey silliness. And uh, as, as Someone put it, uh, you said the, the teams need the trenches in order to win. The, the, the Cardinals are the, the hyper-extreme of that, not having any trenches for their team. Not having yeah. any backbone. They have completely... They have completely neglected the trenches. That that much can be said for sure. Well, that's really all we can say about that game because it wasn't even a game. This next one wasn't too much of a game either, though. Buccaneers at Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like... Got to give props to Tom Brady here. His wife, at the moment at least, hates him. She won't live under the same roof with him. They reportedly had at least one epic fight. 
and they're not on speaking terms. Through all of this, he has kids that he has to navigate and take care of. Oh, and also he's got to play football and literally put the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on his back. And that's exactly what he did on Sunday night. That was a, I'm going to put my team on my back performance, despite having an offensive line, which is literally in shambles. I mean, I've never seen a unit. Well, actually I have being a Ravens fan. I've never seen a unit completely fall apart during camp that that rivals the Tampa Bay offensive line situation. Um, but once again, lest we forget, they also lost an offensive line. Thank you, during thank this you game. for reminding me. Um, but like, you know, just just got to give Tom credit, man. I mean, it's like it, it's like none of it even phases him. You know, he's able to just perfectly compartmentalize it and just just go about his business and throw touchdowns. And that's exactly what he did. Now, granted, well, well, yeah, granted, it was more field goals than touchdowns last night. But hey, at least he scored a touchdown, unlike the Dallas Cowboys, who could not manage to score so much as a single touchdown. Only team in week one that did not score a touchdown, by the way. The only team. Even the New York Jets scored a touchdown. The Dallas Cowboys did not. I, I think there actually may have been one other team, but the, the, the point of this analogy still stands. Moreover, the, the fact that they scored their field goal on the opening drive and then didn't score again. Truly True. disappointing. Um, I, I would only say that clearly this team had its own offensive line woes and personnel leaving that there were struggles. But as you said, Brady rose above that. He had very skilled personnel, to be fair, but he rose above it. And Dak Prescott very much could not. And now Dak Prescott also will not be playing football for at least a month, maybe two. Who knows how badly Shaquille Baird really broke his thumb. It's just a very disappointing situation right now for the Dallas Cowboys because, I mean, I was I was not high on them necessarily, but I definitely thought that it was going to be a, I, I said, a good year for the Cowboys. It was the way I put it. But now it looks like they've very much lost their standing yeah. in their own division. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the team just absolutely eroded during the offseason. Pass rush got worse. O-line got worse. Receivers got worse. And we all know the running back position, at least the top of the running back depth chart, has been shot for the last three seasons. Um, it's only a matter of time, in my humble opinion, before a certain Ezekiel Elliott is usurped by a certain Tony Pollard. But at the same time, like, you know, if you're Dak and you're getting paid what Dak is getting paid, you've got to be able to carry carry your team. You know, you, you've got to be able to put the team on your back, much as Brady had to put the team on his back. And it's very clear who put the team on their back and who didn't. And that's honestly all I have to say about this one. Yeah, I think, I think the Cowboys are in very, very real trouble. Yeah. All right, that's about it for that game. And last but not least, we have Monday Night Football, which once again 
we have the team that was being blasted by the media as having no chance. Came back and won. I mean, I think this is very particularly due to the fact that it was Broncos at Seahawks and Lumen Field had to strike fear into Russ's heart after all the, the rapport he had established with him while he was the Seahawks QB. But every win is a win. And uh, there was certainly some voodoo happening in the favor of the Seahawks. But it was a... Would you say it was an entertaining game? It was certainly intriguing, I would say. Oh, no. Like, I would say, like, it was... To the impartial observer, that was an absolutely entertaining game. I mean, there were so many... There were so many things that, that happened in that game which you did not expect to happen. Like Gino going off. You know, the Gino sots. Nobody expected the Gino sots. I'm sorry, but they just didn't. Um, you know, fumbling twice on the one. I mean, how often do you fumble once on the one, much less twice on the one? That was absolutely jaw-dropping. I mean, that that might not happen again in an NFL game for the next five years. Um in fact, I literally texted a, uh, a Broncos fan friend of mine after the game. He's in the pool, by the way, um, that I don't believe the Broncos could have lost that game again to the Seahawks if they tried. I mean, the Broncos are were clearly so, so clearly the better team on Monday night, but literally seemingly nothing went their way. I mean, and and on the flip side, literally everything broke the Seahawks' way. Geno was sensational. His receivers caught everything. His his receivers surprisingly got a lot of wide-open looks. And, of course, you had veteran experience Pete Carroll going up against first-time coach Nathaniel Hackett. And it showed, especially at the end of the game. It showed. Yeah. I mean – even Madden taught me that that was the wrong decision. <laughs> I mean, come on. You pay Russell Wilson $250 million. Let him try and move the sticks five yards. Yeah, just just a very, very bizarre sequence to end the game. I, I, I mean, we can all agree, absolutely atrocious clock management. I mean, you know, whichever way you decide to go, at least have a tad more urgency. Maybe don't let 45 seconds bleed off the clock while you're figuring out what you want to do when you only had a minute 28 to begin with. Um, just just a disaster, man. Just Daniel Hackett is used to having Aaron Rodgers be able to do that in only 27 seconds. Yes. Yes, indeed he is. Just a very bizarre sequence. Um <clears throat> I am not reading too much into this outcome at the same time, though. I mean, Russ passed for 340 yards, and they fumbled twice on the one-yard line. I mean, you know, what more do you need to hear? You know, the Broncos are going to be fine. It's it's just a function of how long is it going to take for them to actually flirt with Super Bowl contention, right? Because, like, I do think, unfortunately – if Nathaniel Hackett is going to coach like that, I don't think they're exactly in the running for a Super Bowl anytime soon. That said, that said, it was literally his first start. 
I'm sure he was a bit overwhelmed, especially being on the road in that hostile environment. Let's give him some time to develop, and I'm sure that he will. But at least for right now, today, they're not a Super Bowl team. They're a very good team. I would argue they're a playoff team. But I don't think they're a Super Bowl team at this moment, although I think they could get there much more quickly than everyone thinks they can. I think we're going on a game-to-game basis. Facing the Houston Texans in Week 2 will certainly be in their favor of looking like a Super Bowl Oh, team. yes. Oh, yes. What a, what a get-right game indeed. Going up against the Houston Texans in Week 2. It's... Roger Goodell couldn't have done any better himself. Yes, indeed. Especially when you're playing the game at 97,000 feet above sea level. I think it's a few miles less than 97,000 feet, but it feels that way. Perhaps. Perhaps a few miles less than that. Perhaps only a mile high. Perhaps. Mm. I think that's really all we have for our week one reactions. Um. My biggest takeaway, like generally for the league, is this season's going to be a doozy. That's for sure. Yeah. And like again, you know, I keep going back to it. I I found it so refreshing that Week One was not just a wild, wild west bonanza of touchdowns. Like you know. Everyone loves offense and everyone says they love offense. And obviously, you know, offense is more exciting. It, it, you know, it makes fantasy and the betting world go round. But at the same time, <laughs> yes, exactly, from King. Um, but, but at the same time, like, it, I, I'm not going to lie, it was very refreshing to see defense win the day um, because I really do think defense won the day. I'm pretty sure there were only three teams that broke 30. Um, I think it was the Bills. No, I'm sorry. Four teams. The Eagles, the Lions, the Bills, the Chiefs. And those might have been the only ones. That might have been the only one. And it's also worth noting that two of them faced each other. Yeah, exactly. So like two of them constituted one shootout. And then the other two faced opponents who just were completely not ready to play them. Um. I would argue the Ravens should have scored 30, but, you know, they... I believe you specifically argued they should have scored 59. Oh, yes. I mean, if if they had... They made five or six big, stupid, careless mistakes in that game. If they did not make any of those six mistakes, they would have scored 59 points because the Jets were not going to stop them. The only thing that could yeah. stop them in that game was themselves, and they did. They stopped themselves very often in that game. Very lucky for you that they not stopped themselves more and for longer. Yes, yes, indeed. But, yeah, hopefully uh, offenses get better because, you know, it, it is fun. Um, it is fantasy. This was such a terrible week for fantasy football <laughs> overall. I – I, I, I don't want to get further into it, but I've never seen a week such low average scoring. But and the only other and one more thing, just that kickers, please make your kicks. <laughs> That's your one fucking job. Yeah. Yeah. That that would seem a very simple ask. You get paid millions of dollars to make field goals. Make your field goals. Make your field goals, please. Cairo Santos did not 
kick any field goals, but he missed two extra points. I am befuddled. Yes. Yes, yes, you are befuddled, as am I, as are many, as are as are everyone. I love the grammar. Yes, as are as are every person. All right. We've dragged this out long enough. Thank you all for listening. This has been Hit Trap. Peace out. All right, out. guys. See you next week. <laughs>